And now, coming to you live from the Gresham Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf with longtime friend of the podcast, award winning writer Ian McDonald on the Coot Street Podcast. And we're off. Thank you, Ian, for coming back with us. Uh, it's been. Thank you very much. A year or two. Um, yeah. But. Um, but it's still nice to uh, nice to check in every once in a while because every time we're on, you seem to be doing something different. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can never stick at one thing. A planes runner and planes runner looked like it was going to go on, and it's it still is. And now we're going to be talking about Luna New Moon. Yep. Uh, yep. So yeah, uh, I mean, basically, uh, what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still very fond of the Planes Runner books, and they got they got a, a readership who loves them, and I love them, but mm-hmm. not enough people love them quite enough to kind of keep. <laughs> I mean, I still want to finish the series, but uh, and I don't really want to have to do it as a self pub thing because I can't be arsed with that really. Uh, <laughs> so because <laughs> I'm I'm basically too lazy to do the marketing. Um, so we shall see, we shall see. But I, I'm, I'm still kind of committed to them. I know it's going to happen in the last two. I love them dearly, and they're a lot of fun. But it was kind of time time to get back into uh, adult, <laughs> adults, inverted commas, an adult series. Um, mm-hmm. well, and that's it, what this is. Well, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, obviously Empress of the Sun came out what, in January of 2014. Yeah. And so now we will wait indefinitely until we see books four and five, which will conclude that series. Yeah. But yeah. if if we can look back through the, the mists of time, I believe the conversation we're about to have has its origins in the conversation we had at Reno, Nevada in 2011, I believe. It's that, entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, so tell us about Lerner and, and, and what's been happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, what it is, is basically Gary is responsible for this. Um, he doesn't <laughs> know it, but he is. Uh, it oh, was yeah. on this on this very podcast a while back. Actually, it must, must, must be about 2012, because I pitched the book idea about, must be 2012, 2013. And basically, it was, you were talking about basically kind of retro futures and doing new things with old stories. And Gary said, you know, I'd love to see a new take on the Moonbase story. And I have always loved Moonbase stories. I, I don't know why. I just, it, it's, hmm. I think, I, I think because it's so close to us. And I kind of thought, there's a challenge. Do something new with a Moonbase story. And at the same time, I, Enid, my, my partner, was infusing over the, uh, the remake of Dallas <laughs> with, 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 with the late, great Larry. <laughs> uh, not a patch on the original, <laughs> but she was, she was, she was, she was uh, rhapsodizing on, on, how, on how great Larry Hagrid was and how rotten all the younger <laughs> actors were. And, uh, and I just put two things together and it was Dallas on the moon. And, there, and it, after that, it writes itself, really. It's, um, yeah. Well, well, you say that, but that's not really true. I mean, I guess, first of all, I mean, having read you know, Luna New Moon, the first of the, of the series, it very much sits in the modern school of hard science fiction, or science fiction at least, I guess, that is a trying to look at a very realistic near future world. I mean, this is a moon that we that you know I could imagine people actually living on. It, it, it's an achievable physical goal for us. Yeah, um, I want it, it is. 
it is hard science fiction, even though I hate that expression because it puts people off. It's yeah. hard science fiction in that the actual hard science governs every aspect of these characters' lives, uh, from how long they can live there uh, to, you know, paying for air, paying for water, mm. paying for all that, uh, to everyone getting recycled mercilessly after death. It, 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 is, it absolutely governs every part of their lives, but that's not what, what the book is about. It's basically an old-fashioned five families mafia story <laughs> really um, the godfather part two does 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 overshadow heavily over the whole thing um it's um it's um yes uh malcolm at Golanks, um Always, 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 kind of referred to it as as, as Game of Domes, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and there is a bit of that in it. Actually, it starts off as Dallas and ends in Grand Guignol. But, but, but mostly, it's, 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 a, it's a family saga. Yeah, yeah. But, it's a, but it's a family saga that's certainly different from Dallas in in that. Um, well, all those sort of Dallas is a, is a modernized, industrialized version of the old American frontier. So you can see that translating to the moon. Except Dallas is a completely homogeneous culture, and you have about the most heterogeneous mixture of cultures and languages and names and practices. I mean, corporate names come from Korean, and uh, Hawaiian is the uh, what is that? Uh, Oh, the calendar what is Hawaiian. The calendar is Hawaiian. Corporate names are Korean. The families are, uh, Aust- I guess, Australian and and Brazilian. So it's uh, you, you must have had a lot of fun just figuring out how to work in most of the world cultures into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wanted to go to a couple of places I hadn't been or, or written about before. Um, I was very keen to get West Africa in there, and, and Ghana has always fascinated me, and that's and that's where the Asamoahs come from. Um, they aren't one of the you know they are one of the five dragons, but they aren't but, yeah, but they aren't miners and they aren't information guys. They're the guys who sell the shovel to the miners, and that's yeah. how they made their fortune basically. Um, and I, I wanted as diverse a mix of cultures as possible. So if I remember rightly, there's they're the they're the Asamoahs who are. Uh, Ghanaian are heroes or visible quotes there. Uh, the Cortas, who are Brazilian, uh, the Varonsovs, who are who are Russian, uh, Sons, who are Chinese, and, and and the Mackenzies, who are the bad guys, who are Australians. Sorry, Jonathan. About Thank that. you very much. Yeah, you know, that's great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> equally sorry. Equally sorry about the cricket yesterday as well. Whoa. Let's let's not even talk <laughs> about that. Let's just move along. Have to get it in there. So <laughs> No, no, let's date the podcast by adding humiliation to it. That's fine. <laughs> well, come on, John. There, there haven't been an, enough Australian villains in fiction in general. I mean, you're, you, have, you have a serious yeah. villain shortage. It, well, it is true. Australians don't make a great appearance in international science fiction. So it is, it is nice to see it happen, even if it is a little bit cartoonish. In the, in, the, in, the, in the portrayal of it, which I think you might admit, but um, yes, of course, totally shameless, and it's no coincidence that the bad guys is Robert McKenzie and R M. But yes, if this, show, if this show ever go, ever goes to Fox, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, 
four years ago, you have this idea, you're going to sort of try and write a moon story. You, you stumble across, well, you, you know, you have the, the random connection of Dallas, which gives you an idea for a, a kind of family structure. Um, where do you see this, the, well, what's the overall arc of it, if you like, without giving away too much? What's, what's the structure of the story? I mean, because I guess for, for listeners who, have, who are yet to see the book, it's only out, it's, it comes out in about a month. Gary and I have both been yep. fortunate enough to read it. And it, as you say, it's a family saga. It's, it, it opens, there's a very striking scene, which very visual, very intense, and very hard, SF, hard, hard science fictionally based, I think it would be fair to say. And then we're introduced to the five dragons, who are the five large industrial families on the moon who control the economics, the politics, the way of life, all this sort of thing. And then it's the, the stories that come up between them. I'm curious because it's one thing I, I, I will confess to you I struggled. The only thing I struggled with the book at all was in the early stages, keeping everybody distinct, <clears throat> if you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is a... Uh, I've, for the print edition, I've added a kind of a, a cast list at the start. Of mm-hmm. who everybody is and how they're all related. Um, yeah, also, that, that, there's a map. A map. <laughs> a map. <laughs> um, yeah, because in a way, I'm kind of emulating epic fantasy. In a way, I'm treating this. I'm treating some of the same stuff that kind of epic fantasy does, but in a science fiction setting. And you have to have a map. And I kind of <laughs> realized that people are more familiar with the geography of Middle Earth than they are of our own moon, even though it's up there every night looking at us. So I have a map of the near side of the moon, so we can tell where everything is. Okay, so so what I was wondering about is, um, it's not it's not just the geography on the surface of the moon, but sort of the the vertical geography of these of these cities, which is I don't know if I've seen this version. These are basically uh, basically mining shaft communities in, in the sense yeah. that the. Wealthy, wealthy people live the deepest uh, in the moon because they're farthest away from radiation. And I don't know if I've yeah, seen yeah. that before in moon stories. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did as much research as I could now. Doubtless, in fact, I, I know for certain that some of the research I did is now obsolete, but that's kind of the nature of the game. But, um, but what, once I realized about how far lunar radiation, solar radiation penetrates you know, into the lunar regolith, and basically right. you have to dig deep, but you can dig big. So these cities are enormous. Um, the visual kind of what it would look like is if you were standing in the in the nave of a cathedral three kilometers long, half a kilometer wide and a kilometer tall and people live in the walls of the cathedral that's what they uh-huh. look like. They're, they are, they're quite they're nice places to live um, and, and this cathedral is kind of crisscrossed with cable cars and bridges all manner of yeah. stuff as well so it's, so it's buzzing it's yeah it's like a street market inside a, inside a cathedral but yeah uh and mm. yeah because of the low gravity i, I mean i um apparently uh lunar lava tubes can be pretty big things you know up to a kilometer and a half tall uh and a couple of kilometers wide mm-hmm. so there is a there's, there's an actual cylinological yeah. Word of the day. Cylinological um, basis uh, for this. You, you, you could fit apparently all of Philadelphia inside a, a lunar latitude. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. they're, they're, they're big. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but then but then, then as you say you've got to go down some ways to be safe and you know this, this is if you like the 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 cultural side of how it manifests you know the slums if you like the least desirable land is that which is you know closest to the surface yes yeah yeah exactly it's an inverted mm. social order I mean, I, I, because i think i do that at the very start whenever whenever marina is kind of down and up on the moon um she's she's, she's Trying to sell her own urine, basically, to, to make it to, yeah, to make a few cents, and and there's a kids' balloon bobbing against the roof of the city somewhere. That's kind of <laughs> as we're when when Will did you, I just sorry? What did you say, Gary? Um, I, I was just it was just, it was just a, a small detail, but there's a scene at the beginning where um, a couple of characters are briefly exposed actually to the vacuum and, and which very dramatically sets up how much the moon wants to kill you which seems to be the tagline of the publicity uh, it's not, it's not a but that struck <laughs> as being it reminded me of an Arthur C. Clarke thing because Clarke at several yes. points had scenes where people would be exposed to vacuum and he believed that for 30 or 40 seconds you could probably survive it and I was wondering if you were thinking along those same lines that was Earth uh was it Earth? Yes, it was Earthlight, if I remember rightly. After the after the dis- Earth destroyed right, the moon base. So. Sorry, t- tell a lie. Tell a lie. Moon, uh, moon base has knocked out the um, the Earth cruiser, and they're and they're and they're rescuing people from it. Yeah, um, I, that always impressed me. So I did a bit of research into this. The problem: human skin is actually fairly vacuum and gas tight. Um, in in Luna, that's why they wear what what are known as SAS suits, surface activity suits, which are based mm-hmm. on the bio suit uh, developed for NASA. It's basically like a kind of a, a kind of a, a, a super wet suit, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem apparently isn't the gas type how the, how gas tight your skin is. It's the fact that in zero pressure, oxygen gets sucked away from your brain into your lungs pretty quickly, and you ah. will black out. Uh, and the maximum is about 15, 10 to 15 seconds before that happens. So you kind of need to uh, get across that vacuum fairly fast. <laughs> but um, but uh, kids do it uh, in the book, and they do it naked mm. because kids do it. <laughs> so, so when did you actually start writing, Luna? Uh, about uh, as soon as I got money for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was quite a... It was, it was quite a quick book to write. Um, it, I mean, usually I'm very slow. Uh, I mean, things like the Dervish House and River of Gods, they take years and years of work. This, because, because I uh, couldn't go there for a research trip, <laughs> um, was actually much kind of easier to write. Uh, and also, it's a simple and straightforward story. It's, you know, it's, it's what... Uh, in England, they call clogs to clogs in three generations. It's you know, the, uh, the first generation yeah. comes from nothing, makes all the money. Second generation consolidates. The third generation maybe wastes us, or maybe not. Mm. Um, and so, once I have that, it basically tells itself. So, is that how the series basically plays out? Because we've got Luna First Moon that just has come out, and when we first heard about Luna First Mo- Luna, it was a pair of books. But that's yeah. no longer the case, is it? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing for trilogy, <laughs> <laughs> basically because I've got so far in the second book, and it's great. I mean, um, every, I, I'm very fond of it. Um, the the volume goes to eleven in book two; it really does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, um, 
yeah, it's, it, it rocks. <laughs> I mean, if, you think, if, if you think book, if you think book one had a good opening sequence, book two is better. <laughs> <laughs> but I realised that where, but what the actual really dramatic payoff was going to be. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think how to use that spoilers, but 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 basically it has to come, because because it's all about the family divided against itself. Mm. In the end, it has it has to come down to Ariel versus versus Lucas ultimately, and that takes an entire book to play out. Um, mm-hmm. It's basically the battle between those two. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, that's one of the things. The, the family saga business is. Um, it, it is fascinating because actually this is one of the, one of the things which I actually will be saying in my review of this book is that you're, you're selling yourself a little bit short because these these characters are a little bit more complicated and interesting than than the Ewing clan in Dallas and none of these characters like <laughs> by Larry Hagman. Uh, they, they, there's there's a wonderful matriarch in this and what happens when you start talking about an influence of television is that anybody who's read the book is going to try to cast your characters now. So I'm thinking of the character yeah. of Adriana, who's kind of this wonderful matriarch. Um, is I don't know. I can't think of a Brazilian actress of that age, but I I, I, I found myself visualizing her as Jodie Foster or uh, Blythe Danner or somebody who was uh, who had that kind of steely resolve. And she seems to kind of actually hold the first book together, even though she doesn't end up being the center of the conflict. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, basically, it's—I keep saying basically. I wish I would stop it. Um, <laughs> it's it's going back to the Godfather Part Two again with the dual narratives of uh, Michael Corleone and right. the Dawn of Sicily, and it's. It's one of the few movies where the sequel is better than the original. The original is terrific. The sequel is superlative, and it's More and it's just yeah, it is yeah. And I I needed to tell the backstory of the family as well. Um, otherwise, it's just people on the moon. How do they get there? Where have they come from? You you haven't got that sense of of basically Adriana comes from from uh, her her dad's a card away. He starts up right. as a car mechanic and ends, ends up as a car dealer, and and she comes and she comes from this to basically running you know, a major corporation on the moon. And I wanted that to kind of set the entire family conflict and drama against you know what's at stake. Mm. It's 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 the destruction of, of, of kind of everything she's built. But um, yeah, um, I have this is a terrible admission, but I actually do have Google images of. People, I think, look like all the characters stored in my scripting <laughs> file. <laughs> uh, uh, Lucas Senior was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you: I mean, having written particularly a lot, you know, a lot of fiction associated with Mars over the years, and then having written, you know, River of Gods. And, and, and the stories around it, then having written Dervish House and everything else, yeah, you know, you've written a lot. You, know, you tended for the last handful of years to written st- books, store, tell stories that are set around Earth. How, how hard oh. is it these days to realistically approach setting a science fiction story off Earth? Oh yeah, um, 
I treated this one in some ways as kind of a logical extension of of the developing world stories I've been writing, you know, River of Gods and Brazil and the Dervish mm-hmm. House, in that it's still a developing society, it just happens to be on the moon. And I've kind of transported all the things I was interested in those books there as well. Uh, the, what was interesting was I wanted to take elements of the various cultures from which all the big families come from and then have them change because the moon changes everything. Ultimately, it's an immigrant story. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. it's 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 the family arriving on the Lower East Side in 1903, um, and how America changed those people, and how the moon changes these people. So there are elements of many, many different cultures, but they all kind of fuse together. They mingle. They blend. They they share DNA. They have dirty sex. They <laughs> yeah. spawn interesting new religions or theories. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a complex place. It's it's little social pressure for really. And also because, that, you, because one, yeah, what you say? I was going to say uh, because once you're there, you have a very little. You have, uh, as you know, because <laughs> I, I it was in the story I wrote here. Uh, once you're there, you have a very short window before you're stuck there forever. Really. Well, well yeah, that's what I think is interesting, and that became actually we should mention. This because uh, some people who haven't seen the novel yet might have seen the story. The it's the fifth dragon, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, okay. And that's that's in. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's in Gardner Dozois' Years Best, which which really hinges around the idea that you know you're as an immigrant. There's a certain point of no return. There's a certain point in which physically you cannot leave the moon because of Earth's gravity. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I mean, I. I did some research, but yet again, it's not up to date because new stuff has come out. But at the time of writing, the limit seemed to be two years before it would be dangerous to, mm-hmm. to nay, fatal uh, to go back to full Earth gravity again. Um, that's great. You've got a ticking clock uh, on every exactly. single person that goes there, yeah, and that's always going to be good for a story. Yeah. It's also in Jonathan's ears best as well, by the way. Wow, and, and originally from Reach for Infinity, but we're not plugging Maybe. books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? What? We're not? Oh, actually, the, the book that we, we could plug if we're going to is, uh, you have often, I think it's fair to say, well, not often, but occasionally, when you are launching into a new novel project, a novel-length project, we'll, we'll write short stories set in and around that project. And you've written The Fifth Dragon, uh, which came out you know, a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. you've also written a new story, The Falls, which is going to come out after this novel uh, in about December, I think. Oh, yeah. Cool. Right. And how does that tie in to Lunar First Moon? It, 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 ties, in, it ties into book two, to be honest. It's, um, yeah. That's good uh, timing. Very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All these things are planned, you know. <laughs> I'm terribly careerist about it. <laughs> well, one of the things that Adriana's narrative makes me wonder about is, uh, is are we going to see more of what's happening back on Earth? I do have a new character, yes. Uh, I have Alexia uh-huh. of Water, and she will turn everything on its head. So, yeah. Um, oh, one. Yeah. So... Yeah. so uh, She's yep. the first one. She's the first one in, ge- in a generation to actually come up from Brazil to the moon. Uh, nothing is the same again. Uh, okay. uh-huh. So, is Luna occupying all of your time at the moment? 
I um I have a couple of novella ideas rattling around <laughs> in, in, in develop in development hell, as they say. Uh, I'm kind of I'm such a lazy writer that that I really that it's very difficult for me to kind of schedule time to uh, to have the discipline to kind of do novel in the morning, story in the afternoon, bam bam bam, oh. um, uh, blog stuff, etc. Et well, excuse me a second. Kitten. Oh, uh, we, we have new kittens and they're trying to sit on them. No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, kitten break. Yep. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've had a kitten break before on the podcast. This is this will this will be episode two hundred and forty-five. So it's a a unique moment. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that fascinates me about the the, the whole idea of, uh, of, 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 of it, it seems to me to be a, a trend in the last ten years among hard science fiction writers to 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 sort of move back into the solar system. And we have uh, you know we now have now a, a new Kim Stanley Robinson novel, which we can fairly now say critiques the idea of a generation starship. We've had. Yeah. Paul McCauley's, uh, you know, the, 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 more and more you're finding science fiction which is foregoing the interstellar galactic empire kind of setting for, for a recognition that the solar system is probably all we're going to have. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I've never, I mean, I have done it, but I've never been kind of a big kind of uh, space opera, shiny starship kind of writer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what's I mean, what's what kind of started me on this way of thinking? Ultimately, was was Paul McCauley's Quiet War mm. uh, novels, and then uh, and Kim Kim Stanley Robinson's Twenty Three Twelve, and uh-huh. and that this kind of shows that the solar system is still a big and an exciting place. That there's that there are kind of I mean I mean Mars is very fashionable at the moment. We have the Martian, you know. We have um, uh, uh, there's you know. Uh, you know, talks of Mars orbiters and stuff, but I, I just kind of felt that for me the moon had gone neglected a bit, so it was time to kind of go back there and do something baroque with it. Actually, I mean, the first place we have reached, and and, and it would be a shame to kind of say, well, 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 we went there fifty years ago. You know, we we planted our flags, we left our footprints on our rovers. I've never ever went back again. Um, I know. When, when, in a sense, yeah, yeah, exactly. When when there is so much there that could possibly affect life on Earth, um, but yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. Um, I find it quite exciting, actually, the kind of the new solar system, um, particularly twenty three twelve. Uh, I had to be very careful not to be overly influenced. <laughs> by <it>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. I, I guess this does beg the question. I mean, not not to sort of joke overly that you, you know that Game of Domes will happen to you and we will be talking about Lunar Volume Nine at some point. <laughs> but but do Pray you? God, s- no. <laughs> but but do you see a? I, I guess something in your writing in the future that would see you continue to explore that sort of environment, even though if it had nothing to do with the, this story and these books and this particular version of the future that you're writing it? Possibly, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, um, 
every 10 years I get bored with myself. In fact, it's usually less than 10 years, but I kind of get bored with myself and I don't want to, and I feel trapped in what I'm writing and I want to kind of try and do something new. But everything I have written previously in some way informs or influences what kind of new direction I want to take. So oh. certainly, it's it's going to be a few years' work finishing up this uh, Moon series. I'm very interested in, there's a couple of concepts in in the book of, uh, where it's the, um, the sisterhood, uh, the... Um, the uh, the Umbanda priestesses were basically uh, there. They're basically trying to create a social structure that will last for ten thousand years. That's kind of something that I'm working through in a few in a few different aspects, a few different projects. Uh, my kind of quasi mainstream novel, uh, Hopeland, is still out there, uh, and that kind of treats of the same stuff. It's it's what so what social structures can we devise that will endure for ten thousand years. It's all kind of long now stuff. Well, actually, I was going to ask you about Hopeland because in a an interview with Locus about a year ago, you, know, you you did say that it was now on the radar and going to happen. Has it slipped back with uh, the expansion of Luna? It's it's it slipped back a book. I mean, I mean, I have a good maybe tenth of it written as an outline because it was so different from anything else. Those who have read it love it. Uh, absolutely love it. Because it, it is it is it is pure science fiction, but there's nothing if you know science fictional about it. It, it kind of starts during the it, it it basically starts on on the day of the death of Amy Winehouse, okay. and, yeah. and continues into the near future from there. But they're all kinds of kind of science fictional science fictional thinking, science fiction thinking kind of all all the way. Uh, I, I I love it, but it's but it's going to be the most difficult thing I've ever written. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to take it's going to take some time. Has it's, it a- it's been nine years already. <laughs> Has it actually wow. sold? Uh, yeah, it's under contract. It's under contract. Yeah. It's under so contract. that means we can actually look forward to it. Yes, excellent. Well, yeah. So <laughs> all we've got to do is get through. Well, get through sounds terrible because I have to say, having you know, been lucky enough to have re- read Lunar First Moon already, it's a terrific book. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, yes, it is. I mean, it, it starts off at a run, and it's interesting that you know you, you name check twenty three twelve because personally, I think one of the great features of twenty three twelve is it has a spectacular opening, and yes, it does, yeah. you are completely sucked in because of the concepts of the opening, and, and you know because of the city of Terminator and all this sort of thing. And whilst what you've constructed in Luna is quite unlike that. It nonetheless fills a very similar role. I, I, you know, I've got this feeling that if you're not sucked into the first 10, 15 pages of Luna, it's never going to work for you because it's all on the page right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean one of the things I kind of, uh, I kind of learned in my, in, in, my, in my years of the dark world of television is that you always have to start with an arresting image. In screenwriting, mm. it's, it's, it, the rule is always start with a big bang. So everything I do, I do, I do kind of try and start with a, a big bang. Um, the Dervish House literally starts with a big bang on drum. So it's, uh, <laughs> well, actually, that, that sort of throws into something else which is sort of vaguely related, and that is I've seen the cover art for the two books, uh, for the yeah. two different editions from Golans and from Tor, and they're not entirely dissimilar at all, you know, being sort of icy kind of lunar scapes, if you like, or, or cold and frigid exteriors. 
how eager are you to have? First of all, how much input do you have in? Have you had into the portrayal of the books? Uh, and how eager are you to see more of that portrayed visually? I I like them both. I think I actually I think I think I think simple is the way to go with this. Really, um, mm-hmm. the problem with uh, I mean, I, I was at Worldcon last year. It was uh, Simon Spat that Alex was explaining his vision to me for how it would work. He said, it's two books. First book, it's one side of the moon. Second book, the other side of the moon. Put them together, mm-hmm. you see the whole of the moon. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I have screwed that right up. But he's a smart. He'll think of something. <laughs> He'll think of something. Uh, but yeah, I I like that. It's um, yeah, they're they're intriguing covers. They invite you to come inside, and I like the fact there's there aren't any people on the cover or anything like that. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's come come and find out what's in here. Well, is is, is it also be, uh, because it echoes a number of other images that I've seen over the years? Is it also, if you like, focusing introducing the uh, the, the reader to the primary challenge that all of the characters you'll encounter will face because because i mean this really is i mean i mean to be glib about it it's the moon is a very harsh mistress this is yeah you know uh <laughs> you you struck you struck you will struggle to survive uh yeah. if you don't if you don't fight this all the time and yet you, you've also managed you've managed to overcome a real problem i think with the with this batch of stories in a very credible way and that is i i read a in fact the book that um the Falls appears in uh, Meeting Infinity. Yep. Has another story set on the moon. Oh. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Completely unlike that. And there's a character who says in it, why on earth would I want to go to the moon and basically live in a concrete basement for the rest of my life? Yeah. Well, yes. Well, well, on my moon, you're not living in a concrete basement. You're living in a cathedral. Um, you're... you're I mean, if you live in Meridian or Queen of the South or or even Boa Vista, you are living in one of the most magnificent cities ever conceived by mm-hmm. humanity. I mean, these are huge, dazzling, beautiful places. But at the same time, you will never, you will, you will never see a cloud in the sky. You will never see the sun unfiltered. They make it rain from time to time in these cities to clear dust out of the air, but you'll never see a, a storm cross your horizon mm-hmm. or lightning mm-hmm. strike. People, but, yeah. When I was I was reading this at about not long after I'd read Stan Robinson's Aurora, that essentially all the problems of a generation starship are the same problems of of, of a moon colony. Um, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, exactly, yeah, um, yeah. You I mean, if if you've passed your two, two your two year limit in the book, and you can't go back, you might as well you might as well be on a generation starship. Right. You are cut off. From the rest of humanity, you can't go back again. And I guess similarly, if you're born there, yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. Even more so if you're born there, because each 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 generation is growing away from the from the one before. And in fact, that's uh, something that sort of sort of you know foreshadowed, shown a little bit in the book. Some idea of body modification of almost post-humanism in the background of the text. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that's kind of what interests me about current solar system solar system writing is that in some ways it's a it's a machinery for kind of 
human divergence and diversity, and in some sense speciation as well. That that's mm-hmm. the humanity, you know, the humanity that grows up on a terraformed Mars, and the gravity is a third of Earth. You know, is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, sorry, very, very different from terrestrial humanity or or, or humanity on their on the moon. There are huge, huge physiological barriers and boundaries between those different populations, which which you know which which may in turn you know you know over time in thousands of years you know, lead to human speciation. We may become a silver system of aliens to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> in, in well, the, continue, Gary, please. No, I was just going to say that to, from from a kind of literary point of view, that strikes me as one of the things that science fiction can do, and I don't want to go back to the old literalization of metaphor thing that the, the, the <laughs> talked about. But on the one hand, that that situation that you described, that possible speciation, is, can be treated as pure speculation, can be treated as, uh, won't it be interesting when we all become post-human? But it also works as a perfectly fine metaphor for any kind of colonial enterprise. Um, and, well, yes, you know, yeah. One of the undercurrents of, of early American literatures, uh, going back to even people like James Fenimore Cooper, is that America changes you. You know, mm. At some point, you're no longer a Spaniard or a Brit, you're an American. And when does that happen and how does that happen and how different are we? So to some extent, the speciation is simply an outpicturing of, of that colonial experience anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. Um, I mean, certainly much of this, um, what I'm writing about in Luna is, is because each generation B is so physically different from the one before. Um, and because and, and because all their cultures kind of fuse and merge and swap things between them, that in a sense that they are becoming their own culture and their own civilization. It's interesting you mentioned colonialism actually, because I very much based the the LDC and the novel, the Lunar Development Corporation, on the East India Company, really? which was kind of <laughs> yeah, which was which was in a sense the. I, I mean, I mean, I mean. In the days of cyberpunk, you know, there's all stuff about, about all-powerful corporations and Zybatsus and all that. None of these holds a candle to the East India Company <laughs> with the ultimate <laughs> corporate. Uh, they, they basically, um, they hired out soldiers for a, for a kind of uh, uh, a private war between, I, I can't remember the name of the battle. It wasn't classic. Um a private war in uh, in East India, and when the winners defaulted, they basically repossessed Bengal. <laughs> and that's, and that, that's that's serious cyberpunk. It's, it's, um, and since the Lunar Development Corporation is this kind of because of the uh, business space law, because, uh, because of the Outer Space Treaty, because no nation can own the moon or any interplanet or any planetary body. If you're going to run the place, you have to do it through a private corporation, and that's where the Lunar Development Corporation comes from. It, it's set up by various Earth governments, but it is not governmental. It's it's, it's an NGO. Mm. Basically, it's run by an NGO, yeah. <laughs> a very powerful NGO <laughs> that could stop you from breathing. <laughs> <laughs> but but yet, is not. I mean, it's sort of it, it's both reading you know reading what's come out so far. It's both in control and not in control because it's yeah. in counterbalance with these five enormous industri- you know, companies who control aspects of you know, Luna's economy, of the 
Earth's economy for various reasons. And it, it can't seem to act maybe as overtly as the British East India Company did. Yes and no, and that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess, I mean, that's it. We've read the, you know, the first third of the story, I guess, roughly. And yeah. what we're seeing, as you will, I mean, things are being laid out and introduced, and there's much to be told and much to happen into the, you know, sort of from here, which we can only imagine, because I assume uh, the second book will come out roughly the same time in 2016. Yeah, probably. That would be, that would be roughly yeah. the goal. And so we will wait yeah. un, until then to, to get a chance to see it. I am curious, uh, did you find yourself going back and looking at other fictional portrayals of both colonies and of the moon itself? I, I, the entire book is in conversation with Heinlein's Moon is a Harsh Mistress, which I read many times when I was young. I haven't gone back to reread it because I don't want it. What I want to be in conversation with is my memory of that book, the bits that stood out for me uh, and the bits that good. didn't. Yeah. Um, thing, things that things that bloody annoying old guy in it. Who, 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 <laughs> you know, who has, has that high name thing of moralizing and pontificating in it, uh, things like that. Uh, that kind of stuck out for me. What, what an annoying bastard he was. I was so glad whenever he died. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and things like agriculture. Um, you know, the, the fact that the moon was there to produce rice. It was convict colony producing rice. Which, yeah. makes no, which makes no sense at all. And Heinlein knew it made no sense at all because it was a recipe for revolution. Um, yeah. all, the, all, the, all Those are all the things I remember. And so I'm addressing my memory of and it's a harsh mistress rather than going back and rereading it uh, because I am sure there are unconscious similarities and points of contact and echoes and rip-offs that I just yeah, well, actually, come out of my subconscious oh, this is a, a great question I'm really glad you've said this because th this actually ties into other conversations going on around, around the field at the moment, one we had just the other day so there you are, you, you've read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress any number of times. You and I are of quite a similar age, so we probably were of a similar yeah. age when we read the books a number of times. Some things you probably, as I did, skipped over. I didn't pay much attention to the, you know, the marrying 14-year-old girls with the old guys kind of thing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> all that kind of really I sort did, of... I did. <laughs> all that kind of squicky sort of strange stuff that happened in the background of Heinlein all the time and the foreground quite often. But... Ham, okay, given that you are writing a, uh, you know, telling a story that deliberately echoes that, how much does the reader need to have any familiarity with it, the, you know, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress to get anything extra out of your book at all? Very little, I think. Um, I think, uh, 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 in a sense, each book we write, we, the royal we, each book we write should be stands or fails on its own hmm. on its own merits and, and, and its own integrity. I think you may I think you'll get stuff out of it because you'll be aware of the of of the conversation I'm having with the with 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 the Minister Harsh Mistress, but you, need, you don't need any of that to um, to enjoy. It, it's interesting you you mentioned the spooky marriages because there are some very spooky marriages in Luna. They're <laughs> basically <laughs> they have 
Yes, it is. Oh, yes. Uh, they have no age of consent because they have no law. All, all they have is contract law. Um, marriages, dynastic marriages are arranged. Mm. Uh, this, that, and the other. I think I do marry an 11-year-old off, off, actually. I think you do, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, quite <laughs> but that's that's the culture. That's that's the way their law works. Uh, the law thing's interesting because what my model for that was. I've always been interested in the law in science fiction, and uh, I keep going back to uh, Frank Herbert's the Busedi experiment okay. with yeah. the Gawitch and Law, which I never quite understood how it's supposed to work, but I like the idea of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, the court arena where where the law is on trial and, and not the defendant. The defendant tries the law. Um, I, I found that very interesting. And I, mm. I was looking for an alternate legal system. Yeah. And I came up with the, the lunar thing of, uh, ultimately, at, at the base of it all is the dark, grinning skull of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> she, <laughs> she notoriously said, years ago, there is no such thing as society. There are only fam- individuals and families. And what Luna does is it explores that. It says, okay, what if we had a society that basically makes that real? And then everything else everything else follows from that. You know, it's the, uh, the legal system. There's no criminal law, no civil law, mm-hmm. only contract law. Everything is negotiated individually. It kind of all comes, it, it all comes out of Thatcher. Ultimately, it's a terribly right-wing book. In <laughs> you're, you're, and you're, now you're in danger of making this book sound like it's in dialogue with Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> Ayn Rand wouldn't last five minutes of the movie. <laughs> One of the things I think is fascinating, when Jonathan, you brought up this question of, of, of the icky parts, of squicky parts of Heinlein. And it seems to me that one of the things that always has been a problem with, with the late Heinlein novels is separating out what he considered to be a reasonable uh, extrapolation based on what he thought society looked like and what is, in fact, just an expression of his own personal obsessions. Um, and I think that's always a problem that science fiction writers have because if you, if, if you, if you invent any kind of a controversial system... Um, such as, let's say, there's only contract law and no criminal law, then you're going to get a certain percentage of readers saying, you're advocating this as a system we should adopt right now. I am absolutely not advocating it as a system we should adopt. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean I, 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 always call this called, I always call this personally the, the authorial fallacy, which is it's okay for an actor to play a murderer because nobody believes that an actor basically deep, you know, deep down believes they can kill someone to be able to do it. Mm. Whereas if you're a writer, you know, obviously if you write something like that, it's because you are that kind of person in the first place. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm a writer. I use my imagination. I explore, I explore ideas, some acceptable, some unacceptable. Um, Mm -hmm. the, uh, but that doesn't mean I espouse them. Um, I do, however, the kind of writer I am is I do really, really get into character for a book. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's like Christopher Nolan doing method. I really do. It's, it's, it's not pretty, guys. It's not pretty. <laughs> well, I was going to say, where, where are you in Luna? I'm not there. I'm not there at all. Um, 
I'm not, no, I, I, I write the thing, but I absolutely have got myself so into the mindset of um, the ecosystem. Right. If, um, for example, um, if I have to fill in an official form, uh, like 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 a, like a state like a tax form here or some or, or something like that, that's some pettifogging thing that the British government requires me to sign to do something. I also start thinking, well, and how are they going to compensate me for the time I've wasted on that? So I'm obviously <laughs> getting far too much into my <laughs> on the moon. The government would pay you. <laughs> Somebody would pay you for the waste of your time for doing it. I, I, I get far too deeply into my character. <laughs> but but then how else could you could you I mean convincingly portray the you know, the world and the characters you have to it would seem to me um, you know if you don't immerse yourself it it, it must be a, a, a an odd experience I guess over time to find yourself immersing yourselves yourself in a world and story I mean obviously as you did say with uh, the, you know the cyber bad stories. And then to mm. basically walk away from that and have that stop being part of your life. Uh, yeah, it, it it takes a it it takes about, it takes about six months to kind of to kind of disengage. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. Is this it's, part of the function yeah, of writing short fiction for you then? To give you a chance yeah, to is, air yeah, air it out yeah. if you get it out of your system. Above yeah, it thing. is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and a a. a a lot of the India stories though kind of came after I'd written the novel because I had just so much stuff that I wanted to use and I wasn't done with the world I didn't want to leave it yet and there were other stories to be told but no I I, yep, I do get horribly <laughs> horribly <laughs> into the world and, and <laughs> do you see the same thing happening with Luna? yeah uh, pretty much uh, the thing about it is is that where did I read this somewhere? Um, in in science fiction, uh, the worlds tend to be either economically liberal and socially conservative, or socially liberal and economically conservative. Mm-hmm. And yet again, I, what, what I thought was, why not make a world that's economically neoliberal, but also socially liberal as well? Because everything is created individually. And um, I kind of feel that, you know, I hope I succeeded in doing that. It, it, it is it is a world where anything goes, where nobody judges you by race, gender, sexual preference, anything like that, because mm-hmm. everything is done individually. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of sex in the book. There is. I think it's there a fair is. comment. And it's mm-hmm. by no means simply straight sex no. at all. No. There's all every now and again you sort of look around and go, oh, that's a that's an interesting change that you've made there, Ian. What, what, <laughs> what, 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 what took us there? But. <laughs> because it's like it's yeah it's it's that kind of place and it does involve a, an interesting use of a hugo <laughs> and, yet, and yet it's not a long book is it no it's not it's, it's 120k uh no it, it's actually not that long um it's it's long enough uh you, enough happens in it, yeah. you don't find yourself drawn i mean looking back over your career really to writing long long books not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, the River of Gods was a long book, but, but, but it was but, even but, longer. But but generally, <laughs> generally, I mean, if, just off the top of my head, as I, as I look back, I can't think of a really long, thick book you've done. You know, it tends to be quite tight, quite focused, and not given to that kind of epic fantasy kind of ramble that you get. 
it's because I'm such a lazy writer. Um, I, I mean, I just I, I I couldn't bear to write kind of pages of that stuff, and I couldn't bear to read it either. Um, if something's there, it's because I kind of want it to be there, and I, because I'm getting lazier and writing's getting harder as, as as I get older. I I pare stuff down as much as possible. Um, well, I, th- I, th- I think that's what makes um, certainly will make Luna. I think um, accessible to a certain group of readers who are, I'm, I'm thinking of the Dallas readers rather than the moon as a harsh mistress or the earth light or the <laughs> readers, because those people, are, but, but there's a, there are endless po- points in Luna where you could have gone on for 20 or 30 pages explaining technological detail and air exchange systems and this sort of thing. Yeah, and it seems yeah. to me you, that you tend not to do that, but if you've got a great scene, I think you mentioned an arresting opening scene when I believe it's it's Marina who watches this woman floating down on the um, air oh, yeah. drive. It's just yeah. a great opening shot. Um, yeah. And I think, it seems to me as a writer, you make choices to go for a shot like that rather than to go for the elaborate Tom Clancy explanations of every mechanism on the moon. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't really interest me, that stuff. Um, it doesn't interest me because it doesn't interest the people who are there. Um, Point. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I mean. I'm I'm speaking to you. On, I'm speaking to you on Skype. The one of Skype. I have no idea how Skype works. I have no idea how my car works. I have no <laughs> real idea of what electricity is. Really, <laughs> does anyone really understand electricity? Except it works. Uh, I kind of know how to use it, but I don't. I don't actually know how it works. And I think increasingly, I, I mean, I am I am not a scientifically illiterate person, but I just. I understand a lot of how science works, but not necessarily how the engineering or technology works. And I think most people are like that. They use it. They do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Ah, just look at claws at me. So, uh, <laughs> they, they, understand. they use it, but, but, yeah, but they don't know how it works. And it'll be the same for people, especially for the second, second or third generation ones. It's the world they've grown up in. It's the world they've, it's the world they're used to. It's, it's like technology. Oh, the technology is their sun. Is their sun, moon, stars, and rain, basically. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's just part of the world they live in. Um, they wouldn't explain it to you. So why should I? <laughs> well, it's exactly. It's, it's 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 the same issue comes up uh, occasionally when I talk to historical novelists for the reasons. Well, the one who we'll have on the podcast soon, Cecilia Holland, writes like this. And one oh, of the yeah. reasons Mantel is so well uh, liked, I think, is that both of them have said that they're not going to give you lectures on, on, on Tudor history or Viking history and so forth because the people living in those worlds usually didn't know the history themselves, and if they did, weren't very <laughs> interested. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, most of us live our lives in sort of kind of, kind of blithe ignorance and, and ignorant bliss of, of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we... People don't live in history. They live lives, and then lives become this. At some point, lives become history. Uh, and I'm, as a novelist, I'm interested in lives. Uh, I'm interested mm-hmm. in particular rather rather than the general. I'm interested in individuals, not groups. Yep, that's 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 the business I'm in. Yeah. So, your life is is, is consumed by Luna. You have one or two major. Secret projects in the background of of which we should yes. not not not, dis, not 
investigate further other than to say they are intriguing and congratulations on them. Thank you very much. Well, exciting. And yeah. And I guess <laughs> people are chasing you for work. Yeah, they are. Um Yes, they are. <laughs> it's just a hint. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say it. Well, yes, it is, Ian, yes. You, 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 I know, need, you, you owe I, me something. I do, I know, I do. I know, I know. I know it's, it's two-thirds <laughs> done as well. So. I want to get to two-thirds, it'll get, get three-thirds done. <laughs> um, it's something I want to do for quite a long time. Yeah. Another secret project. Well, a little secret project, but it'll, it'll become evident in time if all goes well for us, as I'm sure it will. But... Oh, yeah. We will see. Well, first of all, we'll, we'll see. Lunar New Moon will be in, in the you know, out in the world in about six weeks, yep. I guess. Yep, I will uh, tour. Come and see me. I was going to say this, this is it as well. You you are going to. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, listeners. You know, the podcast goes out to the entire world, and most of the world waits breathlessly for it. But <laughs> pre- predominantly, our listeners are in North America, as it happens, and that's where you happen to be going. I am, yeah. It's it's basically I have a new publisher tour. Uh, they've done a really good job on this um, very mm-hmm. behind book. So I am spending a bit of money, and I am doing it's it's West Coast, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, New York Comic Con, uh, back end of September, uh, the, 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 the start of October. And, and, and everything else in between. I'm available for weddings, for Sonic's bar bits, for those who do. Do the lot. Uh, but yeah, uh, it is it is uh, last bookstore in Los Angeles, Borderlands, San Francisco, uh, Powell's in uh, Portland, Portland, and yeah, Portland, yep, yeah, and the LA, and the, the University Bookstore in Seattle. And I've forgotten the dates. But I well, will tweet them excessively magically, so. and I'm sure that they will be up on various websites as 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 the book comes out and as the dates approach. Uh, and of course, yes. as, as a teaser, uh, the Fifth Dragon will be will be reprinted to the world as well, so that they can familiarize themselves with the world of Luna before the book comes out. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I'll be interested to see that actually it, it's also you know, sort of to hark back it'll be another moment where we can get to see art created I think for it maybe yeah 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 um, Victor Mosquera I think it is did the, did the, did very the eager to see it. that yeah oh. it's really really sweet yeah and I'll, qu- I'll quietly t- I'll quietly tell you that although it doesn't mean any- anything directly when I was asked for inspiration for an anthology cover for a book that I'm doing I gave them a copy of the falls as as an idea that they might want to do as a wraparound oh, dust what? jacket for the book. Cool. Well, that'll be interesting. So, so life life is a, is a rich and strange thing, I think. But indeed, I have to say, since we're just about on the cusp of the end of our hour, yep. congratulations on the book. I think it's it's Thank just God. sparkling and wonderful. I think everybody out there will. Embrace it. I'm, sh- you know, I feel confident. I think it's one of the standout science fiction novels of the year. Easily, I look forward to Luna Second Moon or whatever it's going to be called. Do you have a title? Uh, if, if I'm going, um, or not? Don't you know, new, uh, no, 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 no. First one is Luna is, is Luna New Moon. Second one, if for trilogy, uh, working title is Luna Blood Moon. And oh yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> third one is. Luna Moon Rising. Fantastic. Okay, so this is now 
the Luna trilogy. So the Luna is the it's, consistent it's, it's, I, 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 I did Excellent. Yeah, it's basically it's basically one big book in three parts. And and book one had nineteen fifties fashions. Book two has nineteen eighties. Oh, I did want to ask about that. God, nineteen eighties. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be Kashna Gugu all the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've got um, I've, I've got Robson Court in a Wham T-shirt and all that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Was there something you wanted to ask about this, Gary? No, I was just going to say that that's one of the things that I, I really enjoyed a lot about the novel was the fact that people were wearing Dior gowns from the 50s and that they yeah. made their appearance on old Marilyn Monroe photographs. Um, because that strikes it's, me as being far more credible than the kind of futuristic moon costumes you used to see in movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I mean, basically, I mean, I know we're running out of time, but basically... Uh, I remember watching Battle, the remake of Battlestar Galactica, and what really worked with that was the fact that everyone wore familiar clothes. Mm, um, exactly. Most of the people off science fiction is 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 silly Star Trek, you know, uh, long underwear stuff. So I thought, and on the moon, everyone three D prints everything. If you can three D three D print your clothes, why not print something really good like nineteen fifties mm. fashions? <laughs> and I, I have become. I have become a bit of an expert on 50s women's dress designers. It's an incredibly stylish here. It really is. <laughs> and, and it's great for guys as well. <laughs> well I was, was going to say, I thought you were going to say you'd become a bit of an expert on the background to 3D printing, but obviously this is no, much no, more no, interesting. No. <laughs> it's much more interesting. <laughs> I, I can talk for hours about Pierre Balmain, if you wish. <laughs> and, 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 and the difference and yes, and. Uh, and do yours do you look anyway no enough of that <laughs> but but it, it, this this actually is the whole thing writ small isn't it? it it's it's the yes we're going to use 3d printing no we don't care about how that shit works we just know that it works and this and is no, what we're exactly, going to do with yeah. it yeah exactly yeah 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 um, yeah um, i think uh, i think at some point book someone also prints out prints out a set of knives made from their own, the dna of their own bones if i remember you can do anything with this stuff <laughs> <laughs> It's fun, but it is. But the whole idea of style is that you can you can do anything, but how do you know what you want? How do you know what kind of you know uh, design you'd have on anything? And, and naturally, people are going to look back to favorite or favorite eras of uh, yeah. of the past. Well, Although, as you mentioned, yeah. if the if the eighties is coming up, I don't know. If people start <laughs> printing out naval jackets in volume two, I'm going to have a hard time. <laughs> I do have a character in Double Down. I'm, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> it's not the jacket. I haven't brought them. <laughs> it's it's uh, not the clothes. Rolled up. Yeah, can I continue? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, sleeves rolled up, Miami Vice style T-shirt, white loafers, no socks, but no mullets. No mullets. <laughs> okay, no mullets. Good, excellent. And I thought mullets would have worked in space. I was going to say, I'm not worried about the, the clothes. It's the music that I'm afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be getting protests about this to say this was the greatest pop pop era ever, you know. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate that, but it was also the pop era that gave us Paul Young and Nick Kershaw. Yeah, yeah, not true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, on that cheery, jovial note, thank you very much for making the time. You know, surrounded by wildlife as you are, I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, attacked mm -hmm. by them as, as they ruthlessly will uh, to, to discuss Luna. We really appreciate you making the time. Uh, I hope the book's an enormous success. 
and that we'll get to talk about what comes next at some point in the future. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. All right. We will look forward to whatever news of the secret project emerges also. Okay. And Gary, as always, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week again. When we will once again be the Cood Street Podcast.